Hallelujah. What an Easter Resurrection Sunday. His presence is so, so wonderfully here. And I want to thank, um, you know, those who have labored to make this live stream um, available. And I want to thank uh, Les for speaking in Sunday school and Monica for transitioning, Noah and Kelly and Katie for singing and uh, leading us in worship. And um, I want to thank all of you for being so willing to continue to hold on to the Lord during these uh, really fruitful times. I mean, Les was talking um, on a number of occasions during his lesson about how that the world is in a turmoil, and that certainly seems to be the case. But we're at, we're at peace, and we're, we're blessed. And it's not that we don't, we're not thumbing our nose at the world, but there's a real line of demarcation between what we believe and what God's doing and the, uh, the despair that just seemingly radiates. Um, you know, I, I've said this, but I <clears throat> drift into the grocery store <clears throat> during senior adult hours, <clears throat> and it's, it's strange. Um, it's strange to see the reactions on people's faces and the way they even act. You know, they're all masked up, and it's almost like they're petrified and in fear. And um, the other day, I went to Whole Foods up by uh, North Park, and um, I was there at 7 when they opened and had my water jugs, and I was going in like normal, and there were these, there were four old white guys standing there, and I can say that because I'm an old white guy too, and they all had their, they were all masked up, you know, it'd been the Wild West, they'd have been firing their six shooters at me, and they were all, they were just glaring at each other, you know, and I even said, wow, man, it's a pretty day, yeah, it is, could be better, you know, that's, a, and so I was walking through the store and, and getting things, and there weren't any people in there, but all the workers were there, so I was going to different ones and saying, hey, thanks for, uh, Thanks for keeping things going for us. Thanks for keeping the shelves stocked. And, and they were almost shocked that I was talking to them. And two, two ladies said, thank you. That's so kind of you. I said, no, really, I mean it. I mean, we, we appreciate what you do. But there was a real difference between what you see in people and the fear that seems to grip them. And it's a blessing to be able to walk with the Lord and trust Him and to, and to not only be preserved, but to be blessed abundantly. Of course, being preserved is a blessing, but to, to know an overwhelming blessing coming as well is just an incredible thing. So we continue on with the things of the Lord before we get into the message, which is found in Mark 16. So you can be turning there. There's no teaching sheets today. So if you're looking for it, I'm just going to save you the trouble. There is none. Um, I, uh, I want to make you aware of something that we're going to be doing this coming Wednesday. For the past couple of weeks, we have produced and posted Wednesday Night Live earlier in the day on Wednesday. And we're doing that 
for the first reason, because we weren't able to trust the internet and the speeds of the internet with everybody and their brother tapping in and it's drawn down the signal and even us with the top of the line fiber business connect here, there have been times where it's either not been there or it's really been slow. And so we've been producing this earlier and posting it just so that whenever you want to watch it or listen to it, it's ready for you. So we'll do that again this week. I don't know exactly what time it will be up, probably in the early afternoon, but that's what we're going to do again. But we're going to do something additionally on Wednesday. Um, we are going to, at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock Wednesday, Dallas time, we're going to have a Zoom Connect available for our congregation here and for the network. And so we'll be sending out, or Monica will, and I thank her for managing this for us. Um, we're going to be sending out a link to everybody. And we're going to be presenting at 6 o'clock some type of a network, Father's Church and network prayer agenda. We want to preserve that 6 o'clock hour prayer. And we're going to be believing prophetically for the Lord to not only speak, but to use his saints in this season. And so Zoom is really a nice thing. Um, we are grateful to have it. Uh, you, you certainly, you get the email, you just click the link and it brings you up. But at 6 o'clock we're starting. You know, we did a Zoom the other day for our congregation and kind of fellowshiped. And, you know, it was nice to see everybody and we wanted to make sure everybody was primed with what to do. And... We didn't get around to doing what we were said we were going to do until many minutes into it. But this week, by five after, we're starting. So you can, you can link in like maybe 10 minutes till. I think we tried to have it up at quarter till. But the actual gathering is not going to start till 6. And it's not going to be recorded. We're not recording it. This is going to be, we're going to share. And then we're going to, Invite everybody to go into a time of prayer. So you can watch or you can listen to Wednesday Night Live whenever you want to. It's going to be up there. This is independent of that. But we want to preserve those prayer times. And we certainly want to link our network together. You know, we're all a family together. So I apologize to any of you who are otherwise occupied at 6 o'clock on Wednesday, in Dallas time. Um, but that's what we're going to do. And we may even, we'll probably, when the link is sent out, we'll give some, some, some brief insight as to what our agenda is going to be. So if, um, if you aren't able to be there live, you'll still know what we're praying about, and you can pray as you wish. So um, that's what we're going to do this Wednesday. So again, Wednesday Night Live will be posted early afternoon, and it will be up on Spotify, the website. It will be on Facebook. And um, But then at 6 o'clock, we'll have a network-wide Zoom opportunity to hear about a prayer emphasis, and then we'll just launch everybody into prayer. Now, some will say, are we going to keep the line open while we pray? I know that's heartwarming for some of you, but for me, that isn't. Because, you know, what are you going to do? See my face just there praying in the Spirit? Uh, <laughs> or do... Um, I can roam around and take pictures of everybody when they're on the floor proskuneoing. That's not very appealing. Well, for some, it may be appealing, but for most, it's not very appealing. That was a joke. 
So we're, when we break, we're going to go into prayer. And so, um, but we're not going to be doing the prayer time. Now, if you want to pray with people, contact some of your friends. Don't call me and ask. I mean, I'm busy. <laughs> Uh, but if you have some folks that you're close to and you want to call them, ring them up and pray with them, do that. You, you don't have to wait for me to do that for you. You can do that. But we're going to be doing these kinds of specified prayer junkets, and uh, we're going to be welcoming our network and our church here. Uh, of course, it's all the same, but, you know, I'm, we're based here. Um, normally at six o'clock on Wednesday, we would have prayer in, in the youth room, but we're going to have this with the network this week. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to say we're going to do this every week through the end of the month because I don't know what the father's going to want to do next week. Last week, we didn't know we were going to do this. So the problem is when you start forecasting, unless God just says, do this, when you start saying, okay, next week, we're going to do this. You're, you're, we're really not being sensitive to what the Spirit is going to say next week. But for this week, this is what we're doing. So, again, once again, for those of you who went to get some popcorn or coffee, Wednesday Night Live is going to be, um, imagine that, people eating popcorn on a Sunday. Rick may have his pizza truck out there. He may be, they may be serving up uh, Vietnamese coffee for right now. I don't know. But Wednesday Night Live will be posted early in the afternoon this week, and then at 6 o'clock, we'll have a network Zoom. So that's it. Amen? All right, Mark 16. Normally on Easter Sunday, I would give a brief, a more condensed message because I'd say I know some of you are going out to eat. You know, I know the Terrells are probably going to have a big feast over at their house, all maintaining their distance, but I don't know where you're eating. I know Katie and I are probably going to be eating a frozen pizza or something. I don't, I don't know what we're going to have. But um, we bless you. I chose Mark 16 for a reason. First of all, it says what I feel we need to talk about. But secondly, in this age when um, people are dis disparaging the Bible and its accuracy, even when I was in seminary, people were telling us that Mark 16 was somewhat unreliable. And so I believe it's anointed. So as a prophetic testimony, we're going to go into Mark 16 right now. And we're going to talk about a number of different things today that the Lord's put on my heart. But we're going to end up coming back around to a discussion about Mary Magdalene. Verse 1, Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, and as he said unto you. And they went out quickly. And here's, 
This is interesting. In this verse 7, there are, verse 8, there are seven different somewhat disparaging emotional issues that are listed. And all seven are in this eighth verse. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, um, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. And then it goes on to talk about the, the man on the road to Emmaus and so forth. A lot of things in the Easter story, in the resurrection story, that are really gems of uh, insight and understanding. And the Lord is still inspiring his word to bring meat to us in this season. Uh, one of the things that I remembered as I was praying early this morning during the lightning and thunderstorm here in Dallas <clears throat> was a, a book that was very popular when I first became pastor, and it was called It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. And um, I think that's kind of an interesting thing for us because, um, as was referenced by Monica, God said at the beginning of this year and even toward the end of last year a number of things that he's going to do during this year. He still intends to do them. They're tremendous. They're, they're fantastic uh, missions that God is appointed for the network. And it looks like right now it's going to be very difficult for any of those things to actually happen. But it's Friday. Sunday's coming. Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen. He, in fact, later when he rose, he upbraided them. He reminded them, and he basically told them, yeah, you know what else did I need to do? I told you this. I told you what was going to happen, and you believe not. And so I would just say that the very beginning of this time, whatever God has promised, he's going to do. We just need to hold on and believe. And that's the way it is with all of God's promises, the promise, sila, and fulfillment. Sometimes the sila seems improbable. But we believe God, and we war, and we labor, and we worship through that selah to see the promise come. This is a real selah, this moment. It's a selah of blessing. But what God has said he's going to do, and more in this year, he's going to do. So hold on, and, and be blessed, and don't, don't give up. Now, it's interesting, just a couple of insights here. Um, you see these women who came. You have Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of James and uh, James the Lesser and Joseph. Um, we don't know a whole lot about her. These two guys were, you know, they were there with the disciples, but they weren't the big 12. They may have been part of the 70. We don't know. But this woman was devoted. And then in another passage, it says that this uh, Salome uh, was really the name of, of Zebedee's wife, the mother of James and John. And so um, I, I think that's kind of interesting. But these three women, there was another passage that speaks about a woman named Johanna who was with them, who was also among these women. 
And I think it's, I just think it's fascinating that it was the women who were really holding on. Um, it was the women who were there at the cross or it, nearby the cross watching. And um, I, I, I just think it's a phenomenal thing that um, we, need to take, we, we need to take special notice of that and thank God for the way that the Lord's message was brought by women. And, um, you know, I think it's even interesting, too, that if you were, you know, a lot of the Jewish leaders were concocting stories about how the resurrection was just a bunch of hooey, and they, they paid off the Roman guards that were there to switch their story to say that, um, you know, we were overcome and his disciples busted in and rolled this big stone away and took his body just so that they could have a better story. But if, if that was the case, why in the world would the gospel writers use in their narrative things that none of the Jewish people and even the disciples were on face going to believe? First of all, according to what Josephus said, in those days, the testimony of a woman, a woman was not valid for anything in business or any other way. And so if you lead off your story that here these women were, they were the first ones to see this body is gone and an angel speaking to them. That was another thing too. You know, how are you going to get them to believe that an angel said this? Still in that society, most of the Jewish people believe that if an angel's talking to you, you're dead. You're, you're, you're not long for this world. And the Romans certainly didn't believe in, in angels. And um, so everything about this Mary giving the testimony, the other women giving the testimony, and even them saying that an angel was there, just kind of in the, in the, in the society, in societal realm, none of that held any water. None of that would have been part of your testimony if you were making something up. Because, you know, if you want people to believe and you're concocting a story, you don't throw in the bit about the angels you don't have women being your spokesman. Now, we don't believe that, certainly, but anybody who thought that they were just making this up, if they were going to make it up, they would have certainly made it up in a way that would have been a lot more believable to the society. So I think this is interesting, too. Now, you see this, this the garments were folded up and laid there. You know, one of the things I was reading about this week was... You know, Nicodemus, he brought myrrh. Uh, he was one of the men who was very highly respected in the Jewish community. He was a teacher. He, the Bible said jo Joseph of Arimathea made this tomb possible for the Lord where man has never been laid in. And uh, Nicodemus brought myrrh. And we know that myrrh is, a, is, a, is symbolic with giving your life. But one of the things that is not really spoken about is not only its aromatic flavor, but the fact that if you put myrrh on a body and then you wrap linen, it, it pretty much is like, it's like glue. It, it pretty much glues the linen to the body. And so not only was Jesus wrapped in linen, but he was pretty much, um, <laughs> he was, crazy glued in. <laughs> and so for, for them to 
Uh, and the only reason they know this is that there were a lot of people who robbed tombs. And, you know, they, people would put valuables and they would put artifacts that had worth in there. And just like from the time of, of the Egyptians and even further, uh, the tombs would be often robbed. And anybody that would be trying to undo this myrrh compact to get rings or whatever off the fingers of people, th this is how they knew that because normal people wouldn't go and, you know, try to dislodge linen from a dead body. But it's interesting, though, that here, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but that, that myrrh that was on him uh, and the bonding of that linen, it didn't do anything to the garment. They were able to fold this garment up, and it was really well and intact. That's kind of an interesting thing, too. Now, to me, I mean, when you read the description of this angel, it's, to me, it sounds a lot like uh, what we've just been writing about regarding the thesaurus and what we've seen uh, within there and the angels that serve there. You know, if you've been privileged to see uh, angels, if the Lord's opened your, your eyes to them, um, they're, they're appareled in a lot of different ways. And, you know, just the, any, any of the ones that have a white garment that is kind of loose as if it's, if it's something that a workman would, being, would be wearing, um, that is really indicative of those that govern the records in heaven. And so that this, this guy is here. He was young. He was vibrant. Uh, when it says a long white garment, that's in some ways, I was looking at an old uh, German lexicon, and they were saying that some of the greatest uh, linguistic studies done for the Bible were done in the 1800s by the Germans. But they were saying that this was more of a worker's garment. It, it didn't really mean that, you know, it was long and flowing like Catherine Kuhlman would have worn. It was something that somebody that was out doing work would have been wearing so that there was a flexibility and mobility. And so it's interesting that when this angel, he, he, he don't, doesn't only say that you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, he's really telling a lot of things. He says, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. You go uh, and you tell, you tell Peter and you tell the others, and you tell them that they're going to go to Galilee, and he's really laying out the, 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 the projection of what was going to be happening next. And that is really what happens when you're dealing with the timetable of the Lord. So that's just something else that's, that's interesting there to me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, that what was Jesus doing when he first, did you ever think about when, when the tomb was rolled away and he comes out of there? We don't know where he went. We don't know what he was doing. He wasn't just lingering around there waiting for the first people to get up and to come. You know where I think, this is all speculation, but I think he went back to the Garden of Gethsemane. I think he went to the last place in ministry that he was at. And he gave thanks to the Father. I, this is just what I think. I'm not trying to add to the Scripture. But he gave thanks to the Father that, that all the work that he had done, uh, that every bit of it was done, and that it was complete, all that intercession that he offered, all the abas, all the proscuneo, 
all of the ways that he was speaking about to Theme, he went and he gave thanks because that's what Jesus did. That's what he tells us to do. You go and you give thanks. No, I don't know that, I don't think he went to the cross because he was the one that was serving there. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I just always felt that he went back to the place of prayer where he always loved to go. In fact, the Bible says he was wont to go there, W-O-N-T. And so he was an intercessor. The first place he shed blood was when he was interceding. And that shedding of the blood that Monica was referencing this morning, you know, I think that shedding, all three of those things, the, the shedding of the blood there in the garden as an intercessor, the shedding of the blood uh, when he was before the Jewish leaders, the shedding of the blood before Pilate, and then the shedding of the blood on the, the road to the cross and then at the cross. All of those things are prophetic offerings that unlock things. And I'm thankful that the first shedding of the blood was to unlock our privilege to be an intercessor before the Father and to do those things that are necessary. So to me, I think Jesus being the chief intercessor, I just think he went back there. But the point for us this morning is that there were, a lot of, there were a lot of appearances that Jesus made. You know, he obviously went to these two men on the road to Emmaus. And this was later in the day because the Bible says that those two guys said, hey, it's getting now evening. Why don't you come in and eat with us and stay with us? So what he did throughout that day, I don't know. I think perhaps... And again, we don't know. We know that Jesus had a meeting with Peter. We don't know when it was. We, we, don't, we don't really know when it was. I think it happened sometime during that day. And um, I know that, you know, Mary and the women, they went to the people that were mourning and crying, and those folks were disbelieving what they were saying. But, you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said that Jesus had a meeting with Peter. And when the guys from Emmaus came, uh, when they made their way back to Jerusalem, they said very clearly, he met with us, but he also met with Peter. And this was before he appeared to them there in the room when the guys from Emmaus finally got back to, to Jerusalem. So it could be that Peter, who heard, you know, less read the scripture, he and John ran to the tomb, looked in. I don't know where Peter went. You know, he, he saw the tomb was empty. But at some point, Jesus met with him before he met with those guys at Emmaus because the Emmaus guys came and said, hey, he met with us. He met with Peter. Read it for yourself. It's there. It's very interesting. He, uh, later on, he met with upwards of 500 people. He was with his disciples. He was teaching them. And it's just incredible. But the first one he met was Mary Magdalene. This is interesting for a number of reasons. You know, Mary has been mocked in a lot of ways. You know, the, uh, the Da Vinci Code movie put forward something that is just really nonsensical, that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and they had a, a child, and you know, Mary went back to Gaul and to France and had this baby, and she, that child then became um, someone that 
held the mystic arts and really became the forerunner of the Templars and the Masons and, you know, all of that nonsense. I mean, it's, people believe that. And you can get Tom Hanks to make a movie about it, you know. You know, it's obviously widespread in a lot of different places. But none of that happened. You know, there was also one of the popes several hundred years ago came out with the idea that Mary was really a prostitute. Well, the Scripture doesn't say that. The scripture doesn't say that at all. But once the Pope said it, then everybody started to believe that. And in fact, several decades ago, the Catholic Church came out and said, you know, we want to remedy this, we want to rectify this. Mary was not a woman of ill repute. And they made a, uh, in, the, in the Holy See, they made some kind of a declaration that she was not this way. Uh, Mary was from Magdala, which was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a very important uh, port for uh, fish and the processing of fish. It was also something that was very dear to the Roman heart because there were a lot of taxes coming in there. So Mary was from that region. You may wonder where was Gadara. Gadara was on the other side, on the eastern side, uh, or the southeastern side of Galilee where Jesus met the... Um, you know, the, the, the man that was possessed of a legion of demons. But Mary had money. She was a woman of, of means. And, um, but she also was something very interesting. She, the Bible says, had seven devils cast out of her by the Lord Jesus. Now, what, what does that represent? Uh, well, it, well, it speaks volumes if you really are paying much attention to what the scripture says in other places. You know, the Bible speaks of pluralities of devils. Um, it, it, there really isn't an ongoing head count. How many, you know, there wasn't, Bob Larson wasn't around back then, so he wasn't counting demon heads and saying, okay, out of you, 15, out of you, six, out of you, two, but they were really big. You know, none of that stuff was going on. Um, you know, you have what I mentioned with the Gadarian, uh, Gadarene, Legion between seven and 12,000 legions weren't a fixed number. It depended on what a legion was sent to do in Roman times. So we really don't know, but we know it was thousands of unclean spirits. We know that Jesus spoke about when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, he roams through dry places seeking rest. And when he comes back and he sees the place that he thinks is his, he finds it and it's not really functioning. It may be cleaned and garnished, but it's not functioning. He says, I will go and I will bring seven worse. And that we believe that that's a reference to the Council of Seven, the ones, the principalities that fell with, with Satan. Um, so whenever you see seven, it speaks about, when it de deals with the demonic, the only, the only reference we have is that seven, and, it, and, and the end, person, end of that person is worse than when they first began. So you have to think that this was a reference. Seven is the number of the ways of God. It's really the number of perfection. It's the number of truth. It's the number of godly things. So you would think that somehow along the way, Mary, being probably from a wealthy family, probably from people that were making offerings to demons or the gods of the land to preserve their business and to keep their, their family in a point of prominence, that happened a lot. That's probably what happened with uh, the woman who appeared to Jesus 
at Tyre and Sidon and who said, you know, the famous story about the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Um, there were a lot of those kinds of agreements and covenants that still happen today in a lot of places around the world where children are consigned to demons uh, so that a blessing can come upon the family. Uh, in Greek society, that happened. The most famous would be uh, the Oracle of Delphi, uh, those, uh, those virginal girls that were there under the influence of pharmaceuticals, of, of drugs, and they would become demonized and prophesy to kings and those who came. That was something that happened a lot. And so when you see a, specific, specific, a specified word about the number seven with demons and a woman that was from a port that had uh, a lot of commerce and somebody that obviously had funds, you think that this girl probably was beset by the demonic throughout her life. And it wasn't just the demonic. It was this measure of whether it was um, a behemoth type of influence. It was a soothsayer kind of a thing. It was, it was uh, something that was communing with this council. It was very powerful. And so that it was being said in this way, out of whom seven spirits were cast, I don't think that Jesus was just plucking them out one by one. I mean, I, you know, the Lord didn't have to do that, you know. <laughs> All he had to say was go, and seven to 10,000 were gone. If he was doing one by one, he'd still be there at the side of the, of the sea, casting spirits out of that tomb dweller. But I think this was more of an identification that this woman was well familiar with the demonic realm. This woman was, was well familiar, as, as the Bible speaks in, uh, um, to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, that those of the synagogue of Satan will come and say, God is in you of a truth. We will proskuneo, we will worship, uh, let us worship him with you. I think that one of the things we learned early on here and it was for season, and sometimes we still see it when we go out different places in ministry, that when we talk about things in the spirit realm, when we talk about things in the heavens, we talk about demonic structure, we talk about the hierarchies of powers, it's very interesting that those who were born again out of the demonic realm will come up and say, wow, how do you know all these things? How do you know this? We see it now in the scripture, but we can tell you this is exactly what we know, but you know more. You know the reason for this. You, the saints, know how this is in scripture, and we're verifying that, that when we serve the enemy, we had an understanding of this, but we didn't see why it was. We didn't see what God had provided, and we're so grateful to know this because this fills in the things that we were missing relationally with God. And, you know, it's very easy then to have seen how so many of these folks who were born again out of um, demonic types of influence were, were not only willing to believe the Scripture, but they were more ardently in pursuit of the God who gave us those Scriptures than just folks who, you know, sit in a pew and because they've never dealt with the demonic before, they more readily say, oh, that's nothing. You know, you're into mysticism. Oh, that can't be. 
It's very interesting. And you see the scriptures talk about this. When I see that passage writing to the Ephesians, when Jesus was speaking to the church at Ephesus to John to relate this message, he said, you know, those from the synagogue of Satan, they're going to come and they're going to recognize that what you have is true and they're going to be worshiping. That is what we need to believe for. And I believe that that is why Mary was so amazed and devoted to and by the ministry of Jesus. He set her free from this thing that probably her parents, maybe even generationally, that iniquity was passed down. She couldn't be free of it, and she was suddenly free. And that, first of all, spoke amazing things to her, of course. But secondly, what he was teaching, if, if what my assumption is from that designation of the enemy who held her is true, she recognized that what he was saying was absolutely accurate in the spirit realm. Not only has she been free, but she couldn't get enough of that teaching. She knew what he was saying, and she was devoted there. So to suggest that somehow Jesus had some kind of a footsie session with this woman, and they, were, they had more going on there than what, uh, than what was, uh, uh, was right, um, that's just nonsense. It's best just to take what the Scripture says and figure out, oh, this is why. This woman had been bound by the Council of Seven. This woman and her family undoubtedly were very much aware of a lot of the things that were going on in the spirit realm. And she also knew, undoubtedly, that she was sold into this and there was no freedom from it. But when Jesus spoke the word and she was free, then she, first of all, knew what a miracle that was, but she also was absolutely overwhelmed by the truth that he was bringing forth. So she didn't want to leave that. And we all ought to be that way. You know, we may not have been demonized, but we were lost in sin. We, thank God, were not possessed, but we were lost, and Jesus set us free. What's the greater thing, to be free from a demon or to be born again and have a home in heaven to walk with the Father? We have been given much more than just someone who has been free from demonic possession, and I thank God for that. How much more should we say, I want to know everything that the Scripture says. I'm not about discrediting it and throwing it away. I'm about taking every jot and tittle of it and saying, this will never pass away. I want to know this. So there was Mary Magdalene, and there was the, the mother of, of James and John, who at one point said, would you let my, son, my sons be on the right and the left of you? And she proscuneoed before the Lord. She had absolutely seen a change where here she was with Mary, with Johanna, with this other Mary, and there they were at this early hour to anoint the body. She saw the difference that had been made in her sons, and she recognized that the real power was in serving and in loving. I'm so grateful. This other mother who, who had, was the mother of two of the lesser disciples, she was there too. She saw what had happened. And when you see what God has done in your life, how much more do you need to be there? 
How much more do you need to cherish the Lord and not miss any opportunity to embrace Him and to know more of Him? This Mary Magdalene, she served the Lord. She went with Him. She, she undoubtedly, I imagine she was a lot like Lydia, seller of purple, whose heart was given over to the ministry that God had given to Paul. She was a seller of purple. She was a woman of wealth. And she supplied needs for many of the apostolic journeys. She supplied in many ways for Paul. I believe that when God touches you and He warms your heart and it ignites in fire, you need to be on call with Him, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of devotion. So here was Mary, Mary Magdalene. And she was the first one that Jesus talked to and met. Now, I think that's one of the reasons that she was first, but I think there's another reason. You know, what we talked about the other day on, on Good Friday on the network site about what Jesus was doing in paradise during those three days and the various things that the Scripture alludes to and sometimes specifically says that he was doing. He, he made declaration to demons that were down there. He, and he told them what had happened and what was coming and what he was going to do. He spoke and preached then. Didn't make a decree. He preached euangelion to those souls in Abraham's bosom so that they could listen and accept him because none of them were going into heaven if they didn't accept Jesus. No one goes to the Father but through him. And so that preaching went on as well. I believe that he spoke. Uh, there was another passage that said he did not suffer his soul to remain in Hades, but caught him up. I believe that the touch points for a lot of the gates of Hades, Jesus addressed those too by his blood and made them active. All of creation awaiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Jesus created this earth in and out and through, and I believe he was speaking the activation of that as well. And then he emerged from all of that, came, his physical body was restored to life and vitality. And then he met with Mary. He had just seen the very things that had enslaved her, that he freed her from. And I think it was a certain sweetness to be able to say to her, look, you have walked with us for years. You have taken care of our needs. You have been devoted like no one else. And I wanted you to first see that what you have sacrificed your life for was worth it. Oh, that we would hear that. Oh, that we would be in a position when before God does anything, according to the book of Amos, before God does a thing, he tells it to his friends. Oh, that we would be there. The one that the Lord will say, you know what? This person in Dallas, this person in Tucson, this person in Florida, wherever you may be listening right now, in France of all places, this, this person, they are so faithful to me. Before I, I want them to know what I'm going to do. 
I want them to join in agreement. I've always appreciated their fidelity and their agreement as an intercessor. Let that be the case for all of us. But he met with Mary, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for this because if this was just a story that was being concocted, none of this would be in the Scripture. But Mary was first. Probably Peter was next. The guys in Emmaus were next. And then the Emmaus guys come, and Jesus is there. I don't know. That's just what it seems to be right in Scripture. But the point for us is that Mary was something very, very special. And we admire the fact that she was the one that God appeared to first. You know, I was reading about this story about Thomas, doubting Thomas, and that his name, they also called him Didymus, which means... Uh, two, and often was used to describe twins. But I thought of him because um, I'm sure th they called him this. It says they called it, also called Didymus. And you, you got these guys there. Jesus is walking with these men. And anytime I've been around a group of men in my life, we'd give people nicknames. We just would. I mean, when I was in high school, every, all of my friends, every one of us had a nickname. And that's what we called each other. I give people nicknames. It's not everybody, but I give people nicknames. And I think just from what we read about Thomas, every time, every time something happens, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, but he would also give a next commentary that was kind of dour, you know? So, you know... Lazarus is dying. The word comes that he's dead. And Thomas says, well, why don't we just go up there and die with him? I mean, they make that note that he says this. We're hearing this story about the, the resurrection, and Thomas says, you know what? I'm not going to believe that unless I can stick my fingers into the holes in the hand and plunge my fist into his side. Thomas was seemingly always saying a second thing. And to me, you don't even hear anything about his twin being around. You know, I, I'm, I don't, you know, we have twins in the family. You know, I don't keep reminding them that they're a twin. They know they're twins. And in fact, they try to escape the fact that they're twins. <laughs> they want to have their own identity. So I don't think all of those men were calling Thomas a twin. I think they gave him a nickname, and they said, you know what, Thomas, we're not calling you a doubter, but you, no matter what's going on, you're always coming up with the second thing. You know, sometimes we watch these, uh, these movies about the, the, the gangsters and the mafia, and remember that one, I remember which movie was it, that they called this guy Jimmy two times because he always said something twice. <laughs> I'm going out, going out, you know, and so Thomas had this this identity that no matter what was going on, at least the, the few things we see of him in Scripture, he would always add his commentary that was usually doubtful. So Thomas was met, but not after all these other people, not after these ones that were really devoted to the Lord immediately with belief. And we need to be that kind of person. And the reason I'm bringing Thomas up is that 
We have to be careful in these days, and I'm almost finished now. So, so you can make it down to Luby's, which I know you're not going to now. Um, I used to joke that Dennis, Dennis and Tammy had to make it to Luby's before the Baptists got out, but they're not going to Luby's. I'm just joking. Um, we need to be careful in this fourth month when we are fasting negativity. We're fasting those news reports. We're fasting those things that could be charting our course of belief that are negative and bitter because we want to be declaring what God is. We need to be very careful in these days, and I'm speaking to myself as well, that we don't become Thomas-like to where we say, okay, these people are doing this, this is happening, and we launch something negative. Got to be careful of that. Even though the negative may be factual, even though they may have it coming, we got to be careful the power of our words in this season. But we don't ever hear of Mary ever being anything other than devoted, believing, active in the spirit realm, being willing to give of herself and her finances, whether it's the alabaster box or whatever it may be. We find Mary being absolutely, wholeheartedly committed and devoted. And that's the one Jesus met with first. Yeah, there have been a lot of people that have said things and made movies about her and wrongfully, uh, diminishing her character, accusing her falsely, accusing her wrongly. Be ready because when you take a stand for the Lord and you're moving in the power of His Spirit, there are going to be a lot of people who don't like it and they're going to try to disparage you. Let that roll off your back. That's easier said than done. But just be ready for it. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they said wrong things about me, they're going to say wrong things about you. Mary, for centuries, have had things said about her that have been not true. But the most important thing that was said was, I'm risen, and you're the first to see it. Now, the last thing I'm going to say is this, I think. <laughs> he said, don't touch me, don't haptos me, because I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now, what were all those people, when he led captivity captive, what were all those people doing during the time that Jesus came up and saw his body reanimated by the Spirit of the Lord. and He's meeting with Mary. He's doing these other things. What were these people down there doing? Well, you know what I think? I think they had heard the testimony. I think they had seen the Messiah. I think they were rejoicing. To me, you know, God always requires people to give a thanks. God always requires for people to offer up their, their words of appreciation. And I think during that time frame, however long it seemed to be in the spirit realm, they, these people were going. They had received the promise of the Lord. They were going into paradise in heaven. Jesus had not led them there yet. I think David was singing. I think he was ministering. I think there were people that were prophesying. I think you certainly had a lot of them there. You had Isaiah. You had Samuel. You had... Nathan, you had Moses, you had all kinds of people. And, and I think they were having a wonderful time. And it was a crescendo of victory down there. And after 
Jesus said to Mary, I have not yet ascended, don't touch me. I think he went and he led them captive. And as he was going captive, leading them into their eternal home, there was great rejoicing when they came. That's what I think happened, and it makes perfect sense. So there's a lot of things that happen during these days. You have the choice of recognizing what those were and triumphing in them, or you can just be mournful and weeping and doubtful like the, the, like the 11 were. I don't want to be that way. I want to be the Mary Magdalene. I want to be the one that says, the Lord said it. It doesn't look right right now, but Sunday's coming. We're going to rejoice. And I, I'm just grateful. And that last thing, to finish the point of the last thing I was going to say, is that so much of what we're going to be enjoying and utilizing in the days to come as saints for what this world needs has to do with what goes on in paradise where these people that Jesus led as captives into freedom are. The leaves of the tree of life for the healing of the nations. The fruit that is born every month that is strength and sustenance for the saints. Both of those are saints' provisions. The river of life that flows through that place and is waters to swim in here on earth. All of those things and more are things that we as saints and the end time church are going to need to triumph and be the voice of the Lord in these days. And so I rejoice today that Jesus rose. I rejoice today that we are alive because of him. But I further rejoice for what he could have testified to Mary Magdalene. And I'm sure he did during those days that he taught his disciples before the ascension about what was going on there in the, in the deep parts of the earth. Remember, who did we read that from? Who did we read that Jesus made a decree to those demons and then preached? That was Peter. That was Peter. He didn't elaborate much on it, but these things were told. We need to embrace them, and we rejoice on this victorious day that we're going to begin to see greater and greater dimensions of what Jesus did during those days. And when he rose in life and victory, he paid the price for that for us. So I speak life and blessing over all of you. There have been a lot of proclamations made today over your life. May you be healed. May you be whole. We again affirm the power of the blood in all of its ramifications in your life. And if, if there are some of you right now, you know, Maybe you need healing in your body. You just try getting in to see a doctor right now. <laughs> it ain't happening. It might be, but it's, it's not. It's a virtual visit. Well, we're giving you a virtual visit right now. I'm going to do what Oral Roberts used to do when I was just a kid watching him on TV. See the powers so much up here. It's setting off fireworks. Les had some fireworks early when he was reading. I'm glad you didn't use it all. Oral Roberts used to stick his hand up and he said, you know, lay your hand on the screen. and We're going to have a point of agreement right now for the Lord to bring health and life to you. And if you need healing in your body, I speak the power of the Most High God, the power of the risen Lord who will quicken if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He quickens your mortal body by his spirit. I speak health and life into your body. 
where there's pain, where there's dysfunction, where there's any measure of physical challenge, may you be well in the name of Jesus. And may that touch not just last for a minute, not just last for five, may it be permanent. And I speak that, and we agree from this house for you. Be well in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to be here today. Thank you for your love. And thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not finished in working with your sons, your daughters, your, your children, your, your brothers and sisters. Thank you for what's coming. And we speak blessing now over the rest of this day, over all of the people of God, all these wonderful saints, and we give thanks for what you're doing. We love you, and we ask all of these things in your powerful and lovely name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. Happy Resurrection Sunday. And may God bless all of you. We will have Message of the Week for France tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Saints Radio. Wednesday, uh, Wednesday Night Live will be on early afternoon. And then on Wednesday evening at 6, a Zoom network, Father's Church prayer gathering. So don't miss that. And uh, we love you. God bless you all. And goodbye.